Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about the Mi'kmaq people and the Halibut First Nation. I'm Glenn Wheeler, coming to you this week from Elmstuquake, York Harbor, Bay of Islands, Newfoundland, traditional unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. This past Thursday, Mi'kmaq Matters hosted a debate for the three candidates for chief of the Halibut. Hayward Young, Clyde Russell, and Brenda Mitchell. It was an informative and often intense 90 minutes of questions from myself and the audience. You can watch the video of the debate on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. For most voters, it was the first chance to see Clyde Russell. Until his late entry into the race, Hayward Young was the only vehicle for those who wanted to vote for anyone but Brenda Mitchell. Clyde Russell has a very impressive military record, having retired as a colonel from the Canadian Forces. Among other things, he commanded Canada's National Counterterrorism Unit, and he commanded the Special Operations Task Force in Kandahar, Afghanistan. But he has not had a profile in the Mi'kmaq community. In fact, His resume lists no involvement in indigenous issues or groups of any kind. He was too busy serving his country to get involved in indigenous activities, Clyde Russell said at the debate. That drew a rebuke online from Greg Jeans, chief of the Burgio Band of Indians, and one of the armed forces and RCMP veterans going to court to maintain their Indian status. Jeans says Clyde Russell's defense doesn't hold water with him, The way Greg Jane sees it, if Clyde Russell wanted to connect to indigenous culture, he could have. So how is Clyde Russell dealing with this big hole in his resume? I called him. I can't say that, um, you know, I couldn't have been involved in, in some indigenous programs throughout my military career, but I do believe that in the early days of my career, there, there were no such, uh, programs. And um, and uh, I would say, you know, clearly in the latter part of my career, like time was always a factor. Yes. Um, I was an infantry and special forces officer, a frontline combat leader, and um, I commanded, uh, uh, you know, at various levels, right up to uh, battalion and battle group level. Uh, I was involved in uh, the uh, the ramp up for the war on terrorism after the attacks of 9/11. As far as the special operations forces are concerned, I did several uh, peacekeeping tours. Um, I served in the war in Afghanistan, and uh, so you know, I guess the my thought on that was that time was always a factor, and I never, you know, I devoted my time to my profession, the profession of arms, and my military career. And whatever little time I had left over uh, was dedicated to my family. Yes. So, and, and are, uh, are you saying that you, I guess you enlisted probably about 30 years ago, and are you saying at that time that there were not the uh, groups and opportunities for Indigenous military personnel that there are currently? I don't think so. I, you know, I, um, I joined in 1976, and I was not... Uh, you know, throughout my uh, the 70s and 80s, I was not aware of any of any of these programs. Maybe they existed, but they definitely were not uh, were not well advertised. Yes. 
Um, and you're saying that in the latter part of your career, of course, you were in a very uh, senior capacity, uh, commanding people, etc., and you just uh, did not have the time to um, to get involved in the latter part of your career. Yeah, I'd say it, it was mainly a function of time, and um, you know, I I did self-identify on surveys and attended Aboriginal days, <clears throat> sorry, where possible. But my main my main attraction, you know, was to my own people here in Newfoundland. And every year I came home, most years, not every year, uh, to uh, to go moose hunting with my dad in uh, in the fall in November, and that was you know the extent of it. Uh, I did serve um, as um, commanding officer of the Canadian Rangers uh, on a couple of occasions. One time it was like a secondary duty. Um, and and, uh, the Canadian Rangers, for people who might not know what that is. Well, the Canadian Rangers are uh, uh, groups of uh, a group of uh, mainly, not exclusively, but mainly Aboriginal people that um, that served their country uh, in their in their home uh, communities as guides, basically guides and scouts for. Um, for the uh, the Canadian forces, if the Canadian forces ever had occasion to to operate in in their particular areas, and this is particularly important in the Arctic, where I did a tour in Yellowknife for a couple of years, and I was involved with the Rangers right across the Arctic from uh, Baffin Island right out to the Yukon, mm-hmm. and they're a particularly important part of our our sovereignty. Uh, to me, you know, to maintain um, uh, surveillance and reporting um, in uh, in the high Arctic. Yes. And uh, I really I really enjoyed and um, learned from some of some of those excursions on the land, which were mainly with the Inuit people. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what the Canadian Rangers were yes. all about. Now, of course, you've been back in uh, in Stephenville since 2009, uh, since you retired. Um, so that's, I guess, coming up on, what is it, about 10 years now. So how about that uh, part of your life? Uh, since retirement, presumably you could have been involved in in things uh, locally since your return. Uh, yeah, I don't deny that I could have been, I could have been involved in more, you know, locally. I... Um, I did, you know, I do have a couple of jobs that I that I work at. I'm um, I'm an instructor um, at the Special Operations School in NATO, mm-hmm. and uh, I do uh, travel there four to five times a year, and that's kind of like a you know an important role that I do for like global security, I guess you could say. And I also I spent. Um, uh, I think it was six, yeah, six years uh, in the reserves, and that was mainly um, as a commanding officer of Second Battalion, the Royal Newfoundland Regiment, which had a number of, uh, which had a number, you know, of soldiers from Western Newfoundland and uh, and Central. You're talking now about the at the time since 2009, since you got back. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and a couple of other uh, jobs that I've I've had. Consulting jobs on defense and security issues uh, with various agencies um, here and across Canada. Mm-hmm. Would do you would you agree that I I think in the minds of most people that's the biggest question they have about you is is your 
is that um, perhaps we would call it that gap in your resume. Uh, clearly, you have you know very impressive military experience, so your professional um, background is uh, is not a question. But uh, do you think you have some convincing of people to do because of that uh, that lack of uh, indigenous involvement? Well, I, you know, maybe I do. Uh, but I would say that uh, there's there's probably a lot of people that are uh, members of the Halibut First Nation that uh, are not big into uh, into culture and and that sort of thing. And uh, you know it's only it's only been in the in the past number of years that we've seen a revival uh, a revival of culture. And uh, a renaissance, I guess, of trying to um, bring back and make more more visible and people more proud of uh, of their culture. So I, I don't think I'm I'm alone in that that regard. And and as chief, I would be the chief for all people. You know, all of the people in in the, in the band. So you're saying you'll be learning about the culture. Uh, along with uh, with many of uh, other members of the band who have not had an, not had an opportunity to um, be part of that culture until recently. Well, yeah, like it's it's um, you know I I I made my statement you know during the debate that I would I would fully apply myself to learning the history and culture of our people, and that's what I intend to do. Now, what about uh, do you think uh, skills as a as a colonel are are adaptable to running a First Nation? I, of course, I have not been in the military. I don't know what the role of colonel is, but I my picture is that it's a it's a hierarchical kind of role, and when the colonel gives orders, those um, uh, below um, respond to the orders, and you know that's the way the military works. There's no time for debate when you're in the period of conflict. But of course, uh, a First Nation is is a much uh, different organization. Things preferably, I think, would be more consensual and there would be a different form of um, of management. So do you think there might be a sort of uh, a cultural conflict between military and running a First Nation? Well, uh, you know, it, it, I'm pretty sure to, that if, if you took the, you know, the strict military organization and applied it to there would be a culture clash but um you know it, it's uh i myself have have a an adaptive um uh, leadership style and many of the people that that i know or have served with in the military at the higher levels have have the same the same approach so it's not a it's not a authoritative type of of leadership style or uh, you know top down you can be you can be um you can adapt your leadership style to the situation and uh, and i have worked in uh, several large uh, planning forums and planning groups where collaboration and consensus is uh, is extremely important to to reach um uh, to reach a, a successful successful conclusion and i'd also say that i uh, you know in the military you, as as a kind of like a senior manager you're working in a a fiscal 
and regulatory framework, which I would suggest is very similar in other departments of the federal government and um, and that sort of thing. And, and also, from my own perspective, I've managed fairly large organizations um, and been uh, responsible and accountable for all of it, including the, uh, the financial parts, and also um, had occasion to to deal with the federal government at very at fairly high levels, so I, I think that those those um, characteristics or attributes would would stand me in good stead in in the event that I, w- I was fortunate enough to be elected chief. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Greg James, as you know, is one of a group of uh, of uh, retired armed forces and RCMP, person, RCMP personnel who were. Uh, who had their status taken away. Um, and I understand that you and Greg James are not acquainted. You haven't met Greg James until no, I haven't. until this time. Um, do you what, do you think as a senior um, military commander, there would have been things that you could have done to help the uh, the veterans in terms of your access to senior uh, Defense Department staff who might have been able to intervene uh, with the government? Um, do you think that there are things that you could have done uh, on that front? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm not sure of the of the circumstances. Like I, I saw one of the programs that you had on, or a little uh, part of it, on the uh, Mi'kmaq matters, uh, discussing that issue with a couple of uh, a couple of veterans. But I can say quite clearly that uh, you know if any veteran asked me to for support or assistance i have helped many veterans get uh, um, uh, medical uh, help them um, with medical pensions with their uh, clarifying different items on their pension with different honors and awards that they were entitled to and didn't receive and those kinds of things so i'd be very happy to meet uh, mr jeans and and talk to him, you know, and I'm sure we would have an understanding uh, warrior to warrior and uh, just to get a clear picture of what it is that that he is um, he's concerned about. And then from there, from that point on, I, I would uh, endeavor to do my best to help him because I am a veteran myself and I do fully support the uh, the veterans who are fighting to um to to get their uh, to get their status back and i will uh, and i will help them mm. so what are your plans for the uh for the rest of the campaign we're down uh, to uh the last couple of weeks now um what 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 do you have planned well i'm uh, i'm planning to get out and talk to the people this is my uh, my main effort now uh i'm not you know i've never been and you can you, if you can find anybody who ever served with me uh, in war or peace, they will know, you know, they can tell you that I'm not the kind of leader that sits back in the office all the time. Like I like to get down, talk to the people who are, um, living in the communities, find out what their issues are and, uh, and that sort of thing. So that's, that's what I intend to do. Of, there's a lot of area to cover, of course, and I, I think you were away for the first part of the campaign. So, uh, you're a little late getting on the ground. Uh, yeah. Do you think you can uh, you can cover uh, enough enough territory between now and election day? 
Well, I'm not, uh, I, I don't think I can cover everywhere because we've got a lot of people spread over, I think it's over 60 communities. Uh, but I'm going to try to get to uh, the main uh, the main areas. I've I've uh, I've got one trip coming up to Port of Port. I'm, I'm I've got another um, trip to Flat Bay. I'm planning to uh, to go down to Corner Brook and Benoit's Cove and and a trip to uh, to Central. And there probably will be some smaller uh, smaller side trips uh, besides that. But th- those are the key areas I'm going to try to get to. And when I do go there, I'm hoping I can meet as many people as as possible, and uh, and I also like to have a little tour of the community so I can see for myself, um, you know, the things that exist there and that are being talked about in uh, in our uh, Aboriginal forums. Clyde Russell, candidate for chief of the Halibut First Nation, and. That's it for the show. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Celebration time used with the permission of Mi'kmaq artist Marcus Goss. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Listen to Mi'kmaq Matters on Bay of Islands Radio and Norris Point in Rocky Harbor. Tune in on the Voice of Bombay and in St. John's. Catch us on CHMR. And we leave you with the waves in Elmas Quag at high tide. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.